All right, y'all, welcome back to another episode of Who's on the Lord's Side. I pretty much came back on here to do exactly what I said it was I was going to do earlier, which was to finish the article that I started in about in the New York Times about the black upper class and to wrap up the thoughts on the boule, at least for now. So this article was published by the New York Times on March 7th of 1999. It is entitled, Is There a Black Upper Class? It was written by a man named Monty Williams. It starts off by talking about a Dr. Chester Redhead. Dr. Chester Redhead, it says, opens his garage, walks his green and tan Rolls Royce, and bursts into a 1,000-watt grin. This is my baby, he says, opening the front door so a visitor can get a closer look. This is my toy. Earlier, this black dentist showed off another passion, a 1,000-bottle wine cellar in his home, which is on a leafy block in Scarsdale, New York. Six years ago, Harold Doley, this is somebody else, the first black to own a seat on the New York Stock Exchange, bought a 35-room mansion originally built by Madam C.J. Walker, the first black self-made female millionaire in America. She amassed a fortune from hair care products and beauty schools while building um, the 20,000-square-foot house in Irvington, New York. She created quite a commotion. Impossible, one resident exclaimed in the article in the New York Times Magazine, of November 4th, 1917, no woman of her race could afford such a place, right? Dr. Harry Delaney, another African-American, they said this person was the chairman of surgery at Jacoby Medical Center in the Bronx, is a fleet commander of a yacht club made of a dozen black doctors and lawyers, Okay, they call themselves the Rainbow Club, and they sail up and down the East Coast. They said all these men belong to what Lawrence Otis, Lawrence Otis Graham calls America's Black Elite in his new book, Our Kind of People. Now, I remember in a previous episode, I'm going to pause here for a second. I, I told you all that they're not these, the generations now. Oh, black money. Boule money too, but the boule is the highest. They're the father, they're the fathers of the divine nine. And as we see, you there's so many different societies and that they could put together down to this one that they were just speaking of before. That's just pretty much lawyers. Um, but it says black doctors and lawyers, and they call themselves the Rainbow Club. You know, but they they're they're one of them is the not just the um chairman of the of surgery at Jacob Medical Center, but he's also the fleet commander of a yacht club. <clears throat> they call it a club, but, you know, really it's an exclusive club. And can't everybody come in? These people are very much, you can't sit with us. But what I wanted to say about them here saying that um, our kind of people, they don't associate themselves with typical blacks. That those struggles, those those problems, they're not the type to be like, well, you know, because my people came from another country, <laughs> you got it out the mud. And they, whether they people started off getting out the mud, that hasn't been their history for a long time. They probably know their roots a little bit better and their um, backgrounds are a little bit more prestigious. They sound literally like the, they mirror elite or prestigious 
whites in the sense that they could say my great great dad granddaddy was a judge my great great granddad was a supreme court dad that they their their legacies from a lot of um i guess you could say prominent it's just that it's on our side what we're thought um isn't possible to just have outright freely to i guess whatever it is they do to make sure they they can like i said they keep the secrets of the I won't say master to offend anybody, but that's literally what they're doing. That's why they call them house negress because you're keeping, you're getting treated better. Even and some of them, even these these first boules, they wasn't they was not of darker skin. They was of lighter skin. So they used to, even now to this day they say like light skin mentality. Yeah, but to the like umpteenth degree, they don't think like us. They don't have to worry about things like jail and those those none of those uh traumatic black trauma porn. As far as they're concerned, the, those is the Peasant blacks beneath us. <laughs> That's not our narrative, dear. And they move on. So the book is called Our Kind of People. And it says Inside America's Black Upper Class. Can anyone talk about a few more of the people? Um, it's the Graham, a graduate of Princeton University Law School, blah, blah, blah. But what it goes on to say here, what I wanted to read, because I'm not going to read this entire thing. I just want to stick to the main points, is that... Um, in the book, Professor Graham talks about college fraternities and sororities, not just them, but also social clubs for adults and summer resorts tailored to a black aristocracy. So you see, you see how when they show you them, they, by the time they made it, they just look like, hey, I'm everyday. Some of them, yeah, some of them. There's plenty of people that's just on the bottom. Like I said, I just want my mom in my house. I'm sick and tired. Um... I had no idea that when I was doing this, like Ricky Smiley, I was joining this organization, I'd be able to climb and rub elbows with certain people and <laughs> look at me now, you know, kind of thing. And then you got someone that's just been there for a while, okay? Secretly running balls, tuxedo balls. That, I've seen a whole documentary. I think I put it up um, somewhere, too. Who's on the Lord's side about to have a Facebook page, too? I'm really trying to expand this. I'm trying to bring the thoughts out. And um, the black woman was very clear. They look for certain black children for this thing. You couldn't just, even if you was, if I have money, enough money to go move into this community and this neighborhood, and my child was, uh, or I, whether I put them in a school where I pay for a private school and I worked hard enough coming from the mud, you know what I'm saying, to make it there, they wouldn't pick my child because my child is not of a certain background. My child is not of a certain, even if my child was to be able to get in, I, I'm. We must have somehow made rapport with a family who probably just said, "Oh my gosh, we like you." And again, by invitation only. I happen to know, you know, we happen to be. It would be very good for your boy or your girl type stuff. We would have to be in good standing. Other than that, with who these uh, uh, wanna be blacks that you know the house nigger mentality, terrible. Now I just said that these resorts, social clubs, sororities, and fraternities are tailored to a black aristocracy. Insular or, or, or in, insular or arenas unfamiliar to black underclass, working class, and whites of any class. So it's uh, arenas that are unfamiliar to black underclass. We know that because they got us thinking that's impossible. <laughs> They've been doing it for a minute. They just don't want everybody there. It's the same way when the white people set up shop in a lot of pristine white neighborhoods. Don't let too much uh, bad... Um, or certain colored people come in, they start moving out. <laughs> they, they don't want the neighborhood to go bad. Not right, maybe right away at first, but don't let it start. Start Don't, don't even let a speck of graffiti get on anything. 
littering. Like, in them pristine, really clean, upkept little communities with your little community neighborhoods and they're gated. <laughs> Don't get it too colorized up in there or they're getting the heck out of Dodge. And that's the same thing they would do with us. Now, it says here for women, there are sororities like Alpha, Kappa Alpha, and clubs like Lynx and the Smart Set. It says for men, there is Omega Sci-Fi on historically black campuses, which claim alumni um, Vernon Jordan and former Governor L. Douglas Wilder of Virginia. Yeah, not surprising that a lot of the black males who make it in politics have a lot of... Listen, whether you coming in and you was already initiated and they like you from that and you already have good standing, by the time you come in, you still sold your soul a second time, okay, um, by coming under the contract of the full elite of the world. Because the black people, they don't run no media. <laughs> they do. They run their own media. We know that. So they still would have to get this the stamping of approval from master. <sighs> he was on to say, for children, there is Jack and Jill. Now, Jack's for children. They even start prepping their children for young. A network of recreational groups that cultivate African-American roots in largely white suburbs, but don't um, rush to send resumes to any of these organizations. They accept members by invitation only. Our kind of people has been widely reviewed, and Mr. Graham has just returned from a national press tour. I want to go down to... the gatekeepers. It says here, are these groups gatekeepers to making it as a black professional? Are these groups gatekeepers to making it as a black politician? Do they play a heretofore overlooked but vital role in how blacks advance socially and professionally? And what they mean socially is socialite, what you call socialite. Before Paris um, Hilton and all that, before, before, before she became known for whatever she was known with Lindsay Lohan and all of them, all she, and Kim Kardashian too, before she did tape. We're not going to talk about all that with Ray J and all that. They was really simply just known for being the descendants of, of people who had already made a name for themselves in the world of the elite and had money, like Rob Kardashian, who's over. So she, they was already known. They already knew people, for crying out loud. They was virtual OJ and them. They knew people. But they wasn't, I guess you could say, set yet. Then she started, you know, I would say sacrificing her um, children and putting them in. But socialites, is there such a thing as black socialite? And not just black socialites being like, oh, because now you're in the industry and now you're a socialite technically. No, 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 that's a real thing. So what they're basically asking is, do they constitute an old boy or old girl network for African-Americans? Because that good old boy thing is for the Caucasian side, right? So do they have some kind of same way system over here? That means the same way that system is oppressing the we well, we bottom blacks feel the whites is oppressing us as a whole, um, isn't really true because they ain't oppressing all of us completely as a whole. So so much as there's an upper black class, not forget middle class, there's an upper black elite upper echelon class. You, you hear what these people was doing? You you do they you you heard what you hear how they live in even in times when they wasn't supposed to be living like that. They was talking about no no woman of her color at all should be doing this thing. They tried the whites at the time, couldn't even figure out how was she doing it. But she was part of um can't just be making a certain amount of money in here and they don't know who you are or they didn't people didn't give you permission, especially if you're a certain color. All right, he says he describes, for example, how he called on his contacts in the boule. Um oop, I think I skipped something here. 
It said, Mr. Graham argues that they do exist, even though that is not um, their stated intention. Most describe themselves as social clubs committed to backyard barbecues, teas, and social service. Remember, there's always a fake front of a mission statement. Um, But like country clubs where golf is the pretext and making business connection is the subtext, or like charity galas where social climbing is as much on the agenda as philanthropy. Get it? Yes, we're doing good cause, but at the same time, look at all the different people that's going to be here. Network, 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 network. Duh. And so it says these institutions, the author says, help maintain black upper class. He describes, for example, how he called on his con. Now, what they're going to say here is always going to be, they're just admitting that they exist. Do you think they're going to go down into the blah, 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 and we do this for the blah, 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 and the whole real mission? They're not doing that right now. For crying out loud, this was just like truth put in plain light, boom, New York Times real quick, knowing good and well is going to go over a lot of African-Americans' heads if they even read the New York Times at all in the 90s. It was worried about a lot of other things. But it says here, um, he called on his group of uh, Boulay friends, a national group of 4,000 prominent men. I told they they don't even keep... so And then, and then those 4,000 is a secret and they go wherever. But you don't think they have kids and then they become legacies. This is about 1906... To, to that, come on, it's about over a good century of this. So it says that uh, if your boule friends will back you, people will know you're real. So whether you're in the boule or if you know the boule and they just happen to have admiration for you and they give you invitation, people are going to back you for real. I think we know that's how it works, though. They'll know that you're for real. The author continues, although reluctantly, um, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to jump down here. Oh, he said one of the most prominent Boulay members was Mayor David N. Dinkins. They just keep talking about all the different ones. He said when he first ran for New York City-wide office, they said individual people in the Boulay backed my candidacy. They quoted Dinkins as saying that, quote, individual people in the boule back my candidacy. He said, and they said here, quote, some wrote checks and others campaigned with me in the street. But the boule as an organization is not political, so they didn't back me. So at the end of the day, he's saying they did, they did, but blah, 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 because not political, whatever. They know how to shape what they want to see, to put people in places, to uh, do what it was today. If membership in an upper class is defined as simply having lots of money, it says here that it's clear that a black upper class exists. It comes or the incomes of African-American athletes and entertainers are as stratospheric as those of their white counterparts. And among professionals and entrepreneurs, blacks have increasingly attained affluence in the last decade. It said the number of black households earning $100,000 or more nearly doubled from 220,000 in 1998 to 414,000 in 1998. They wouldn't have told nobody that because, <laughs> you know, they play with these numbers a lot. Uh, it says it takes much more than money to become to belonging to the upper class, though. And it says it's not just the money. It's where did this person's grandfather go to medical school? How far does the family go back in a certain city? See, standing in a legacy means a big deal. Did you go to the right school, the right boarding school? 
Well, you hear that? Boarding school for black people. Yeah, not just boarding school. Like, okay, I'm Fresh Prince of Bel Air, rich. You know, and I'm Uncle Phil. We done made it. Like I keep saying, like, is nobody said you can't go live anywhere. That's not what they're saying. And live amongst whatever. <clears throat> but when it comes back to um, history and legacy, he, Uncle Phil would be considered new. But that doesn't mean that somebody wouldn't have took him in if they wanted to. They'd be like, hey, you got what it, you got. You got what it takes. How far, how far back were your family members and professionals? Now, you know, us bottom blacks don't got too much of that. I'm not saying you the people don't have people that went to the army, but <laughs> some people got some people that have been in the system. Now, probably still still in the system. But And then it says, um, they, sometimes even who are you married to? You know, because maybe your husband or your wife has a good, a, a good standing name, or maybe their family do. It says, Mr. Graham grew up in an affluent family in White Plains, and has said he doesn't remember a time where his relatives didn't have money. Jack and Jill skating parties, riding. Remember, Jack and Jill is for the kids. So he grew up in an affluent family. Jack and Jill skating parties, riding lessons, and boat and excursions were a part of his childhood. It's a black man. In the book, he identifies the right cotillions camp and private schools for the black upper class. The appropriate camp, Mr. Grant writes, is Camp at water at 70 acres spread in Lake Lashaway in North Brookville, Massachusetts. Moving on, Mr. Graham recounts how the world of black privilege was so insular when he was a boy that during summers in Oak Bluffs on Martha's Vineyard, quote, it never even occurred to me that white people had summer homes on Martha's, on Martha's Vineyard. This is a man in 1999 who's grown, but obviously 30 years before that would be about the 60s or so. Last time I checked in my black history, I didn't know that black people was even living like that. But as far as he said, he it never occurred to him as a child that white people had summer homes on Martha's Vineyard. You know what they look on today? It's a, if it's a flip side, back then I'd have been like, I'd have never known that black people even had one property over there. And if they did, they probably just, I don't know. But they did? Shocking. You know, like I said, they don't worry about those things. Others, however, dispute their, the notion that there's a black upper class defined by wealth or as an influential old boy network. So somebody says, quote, there are no black Rockefellers, Vanderbilts, or Kennedy families who have sustained great wealth um, for generations. They're, they don't have as much power as Rockefellers, Vanderbilts, or the Kennedys, and they never will because of the power of their skin. But do they have our power? Influ- yes, absolutely. Because of not only the backing of themselves, they can never, no matter how much they try to f- act like in this article, they're running independent, that's a lie from the false fidel. Once you even try to tie the two in together, it's already going to look like what it's supposed to look like. So right now, they're just trying to honor them as some people that just separated themselves or segregated themselves from the whites <laughs> centuries ago and just created this powerful thing. Although the hotels pay for good attention. He added, if blacks understand our experience in this country, then they don't need to be validated by some artificial construct like class. Uh, whether we want to or be or not, we are. So I just want to keep moving. Like I said, this article is extremely long. Ah, it's actually almost over. Ha! We're we're getting through it, guys. It says, over the years, many blacks who were not included in those groups came to regard the groups as snobbish and worse, upholding upwritten rules that members have light skin and good hair. 
like that of Caucasians because what they was, they was Creole looking a lot of them. And I'm not saying that they don't have them in darker colors, but it just seems as if they was already modeling after the whites. And I'm not saying that they didn't, we colored people. <laughs> they become an all shade of variation from the whitest white to the darkest, darkest purple. From the whitest white is as, as albinism. I'm just be honest. Or the Eve gene. So clearly some colors have came in it, but it seems like they, they preferred. Like the house niggas. Mm, house niggas was different. They ate different. And you wanna know something about the house nigger that you just you gotta understand too. The house nigger was there at the dinner table. Sometimes, whether he was the butler, whatever the house nigga was allowed to do, whether he was the chauffeur, that slave overhears a lot. That that slave hears a lot of things that's going on in the house. And that slave have to, is it, trusted to keep the secrets so they don't go back to, to, to the slaves. Even though the slaves outside will hear about it eventually somehow, but they don't go just running back and telling everything. They couldn't possibly. First of all, their loyalty to Master, um, like Malcolm X said, Master, you sick? We sick. You know, it's, it's a, it, they share a brain. As far as I'm concerned, Master, take care of me. It's like a Stockholm. Treats me well. You know, I'm just going to behave and do this. I don't want to go back out there to the fields and burn in the hot sun all day. Over here, I get cool drink. You know, I might not get it all the time whenever I want to, but I'm, I'm certainly not getting whooped like that. And I, I, I'm, I've, I've been promoted. You know, that's no longer my narrative type stuff. It's the same way when you was watching, if you ever seen the movie Life, you see that the warden at one point was um, a white guy. You see the times. So, you know, black people wasn't winning. <laughs> they still was trying to make it. And if he was in jail, it was worse. And what happened? If they crossed the line or they crossed the marker, there was always a threat of being shot to death or killed. And um, I know for a fact the person holding the gun happened to be a black male. They didn't even get another white person to work the jail to be ready to shoot a, a Negro or inmate, however you want to look at it down, if they crossed the line. And he was more than ready to be like, yes, boss, yes, boss, boss, say, boss, he, the share brain. Okay, so there is, you, you have to understand, that's why Malcolm X, he couldn't say what he was saying at the time. That's why they didn't like that, man. Because he started to realize too much truth at the end that the nation of Islam was very much a divide and conquer, especially when he took that, that trip to Mecca and he was with all the Muslim people who were of all variation of color. He said even white Muslims he's seen, blonde hair and blue eyed. And that's the first time he realized white man, not the whole white man, could be, can't be the devil. He tried to drop some subliminals. He really did. They wanted that man to die for obvious reasons. You had to be silent. You're talking too much. You, 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 we have not seen a leader. Don't tell me about Farrakhan because I don't know. You know what I'm trying to say? That's another one. Don't we don't Jesse Jackson, the boule house nigga that helped Lord Malcolm uh, MLK too. But there was something going wrong they didn't like about him and what the, he was getting ready to talk about. JFK for civil rights and also speaking against whatever. Everybody that got assassinated got assassinated for a reason. Why the black community don't have real powerful leaders that talk truth no more to us? They silence them all. They don't, you know, they always honor them in holiday in Black History Month. They're gone. Everybody else just happened to see them make it because they're in line and they stay. Come on. They have body doubles for every president. They try to make it sometimes that they put them in this car instead of not that car. You know, you know, what, the, you know what really killed me? How people really thought, oh, well, you should have known Obama was put there when, well, you know how many racist people I've seen who made their own documentaries that said they'll be damned if they're going to let a 
take the seat and take the country and all this. It was very do all kind of stuff. I know about got death threats. You know how much the media shielded that out and just sold that this to even whites who probably wasn't sure either whether they was racist or not. They they sold the heck out of that. If you want to believe for a second that all the white America just went down with this, no, they didn't. Bule, how should we put them there? And we got a little talk about that. And I just want to wrap up this article, though, because that's really all that I wanted to do. It says, nonetheless, memberships have been growing thanks to the ballooning of the black upper, upper middle class. The Boule membership has more than tripled since 1970. This is a, the link started with nine women in one chapter in 1946 and had grown to 10,000 members in 270 chapters. And in the last 20 years, Jack and Jill chapters have doubled to 220, 220 with 30,000 family members reflecting the desire to have well-off black children meet the right kind of people. The chapters have doubled to 220 chapters. Because, you know, a chapter could be anywhere spread out throughout the, the United States. With 30,000 family members of black prominent ones reflecting the desire to have well-off black children meet the right kind of people from birth. Jack and Jill. <laughs> you talking Jack and Jack and Jill so ain't nothing but an old uh, fairy tale, story time tale. And if, it, and if it ain't that, it certainly sounds like somebody's daycare up the block. Talking about you won't go to Jack and Jill. Sure, this is a daycare from birth. And you got people out here um in the bottom levels, you know, I no 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 lot of disrespect. As soon as they coming out they wound the, the names alone. <laughs> they ain't teaching us how to get right. They ain't not supposed to. Like I said, you can't have all these niggas coming in the house. You got to show master why you still good at what you do. My, the same way they could say, my great-great-grandpappy built this country. The same way they could be like, my, we done been here. My 300 years, the boule is the ones that's on top. But anybody underneath with that kind of standing do have respect. They don't want to be seen and known about. Because if it's exposed, they won't be going to. All right. You know, if you, can, I give, can I give an example of what would happen if it's exposed? <laughs> Remember Wakanda, right? Remember, remember when Michael B. Jordan character found out the truth of who he was, and he had like all this hatred in his heart for T'Challa, right? And no, really, and then he didn't even though they was family, right? He came to the Wakanda with this kind of anger that was like, so y'all was over here living like this all this time. Y'all had the power to, you know, our people in the world, they're going through so much. We're being hurt. We're being abused. We're being tra- you know, traumatized and all of this. Y'all over here living with like royalty. This was supposed to be my life anyway. And it was a rage in that. And it was a, it was a rage in that. And, and while it sounded evil and bitter, you could, I could totally get it. He said, I've been training to kill people. I've been doing all of this, so the day that I meet you, you the one I really want to kill. Like, I'm trained up. I'm ready to go because I got this rage in me between my father, the way I had to grow up, the way I had to live, and now coming here and actually seeing it with my own two eyes that y'all just been chilling here. Forget me as a family member, but what about our people out there? So y'all just going to sit here and act like y'all don't exist with all this power and all this money and all this glory. Why not bring us in? Why not? They ain't going to do that. And guess what happened to... Um, it apparently, if you're not Wakandian 
really been raised there or have the mindset to want to be of them you, you maybe you might come in like a um, you know the people that seem to come in from the outside always have bad intention either they want the vibranium or something or if they're black like michael b jordan they're the angry black from the bottom that's just like nah let's take it over so why would they want to let us know that this is real you gonna have too much. Black people still trying to get Joseph Emmett too. Excuse my. <laughs> you don't want to be telling us <laughs> that we could have put Black Wall Street together. Blacks ain't helping us. You, you, you know this is. You, don't get blacks angry. You don't want to poke us. You know. You remember what happened in Baltimore that year? Remember that time we were talking about this race war that they put into the. Uh, but Baltimore, Maryland, I can't remember which which young man it was. I hate to say that because it's, it's so sad that there's so many people's names on this list. And I don't want to just confuse somebody else's name and get people upset either. So I'm going to say the young man, I believe his story was they arrested him. They put him in a van. And somewhere in the transportation of the van, he succumbed to all these injuries. It seemed like he was beaten in a van or something. He passed away. They wanted answers. Now, at the time, you see this thing with the black bullet, how we was talking like certain politicians being black or, you know, either invited or it's a legacy thing, obviously. Or you're in fraternity or something of that nature. It doesn't matter. By the time you're in any way in politics, it's still a bigger umbrella. That's Caucasian, the power elite now. When that young man died, there was a woman who was running for, uh, I don't want to say she was running, I want to say she was running for district attorney or she was running for mayor, but I want to say it was like DA. And she was supposed to be like the first African-American and she was a light-skinned house Negro. I'm just saying, because that's what she was. And they voted her in because like everybody, like Mayor Adams, oh, she had such a good <laughs> reputation beforehand. She seems like she's for the people. And then she got up there and then all of a sudden this case happened. So they were like, we want justice, we want justice. And they were like rioting. And my point was, Baltimore was about to burn the whole city down. And I saw the point that the police had to wall off what was going to be the white parts, the the elite parts. They were going to burn that city down. And we were here for it because of Ferguson and people was all rallied up and it was just too much going on. Now, what ended up happening with that is they had to pacify the people. Who did they bring out to pacify the people? The house Negro on top. I can't remember her name right now, but I roasted her too. And she came later, I roasted her. And she came and she was like, we're gonna we're gonna charge them. We're gonna we're gonna just charge them, and so that's what they did. We see black people. You see, we get too excited too quick. Oh, you charge them. Charge charge don't mean squat. And I'm surprised that black people don't know that the charge is just a charge. It's still pending. You ain't proven guilty until he's proven guilty. And their officers, you need to wait for real conviction, full conviction, time handed down type stuff. That was just to arrest them because they was upset they was walking in the street. When that happened, the pat the people said, "Whoa, that was what a relief." Let's. Pat the fires out and go back to whatever destruction of a city of ours that we destroyed because they never destroyed the right cities. They started with their own. But by like I said, by the time they was getting ready to push into white prominent areas and businesses, it's one thing if you're burning down your own crap being stupid. It's another thing if you're going to burn down ours. We got to do something. Get uh, a house Negro to pacify these field Negro's place. And she came out there and she did it. But what ended up happening was they all got screwed over later and they realized that the, she was a fraud, that she wasn't there to do what 
was good for the people so much as she was doing what was good for the for the politics. And these officers ended up, it was shady. And then they started rallying around her house after that. And then uh, she, at one point, when she would get on the news or, or she, they were interviewing her about what the situations and the tensions about Black Lives Matter and that issue in the case. She said, well, one thing I'd like to tell the public is I would like, listen to her, she, she, she got a little ratchet when she was talking to her. So I would like that they would, they would stay away and refrain from coming around my house with all these protests because I have small children and then you're starting to scare them. I said, well, all the money you got and all the people, you know, won't you up, 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 pull out of there and go stay somewhere else in your little summer home? Go to Martha's Vineyard. Go, you know, put them children away at Jack and Jill for the month. Girl, stop playing with me, girl. I would like that they would put the put the put. I would like that you would stop with your bootleg lying behind and sit down, light skin. The hell I look like. And just stop playing the people. And all you have to do, and they put them in places where they have so much prominent power and um, um, influence. And they say, oh, when I was younger, they say the music is doing this, and I didn't get it. And that music was doing something. But damn, if y'all can't even say the music ain't doing what it's doing. These kids is on a pill. These kids, I don't know what, they was doing stuff when I was younger. Gin and juice, they smoking on gin and juice. They was talking about gin and juice. They had songs like, I got five on it. Something that was a chill song. I got five on it. Now you hear that, excuse my song, you hear the sing, this that song, now you hear that beat drop. Like, Jordan Peele, you can't even enjoy the song, let alone it ain't five or ten no more. Or whatever. These kids out here doing whatever, they don't care. You know, that, I think that's what it is, too, with these kids getting depressed as well. And then these street drugs are not, they're not real. Nothing is, and I'm not talking about the marijuana. I'm talking about street drugs. I'm talking about them pharmaceuticals. It's fentanyl, this fentanyl. Why they got to keep Narcan on deck just in case somebody passing out? I told you, some of this stuff so strong. The, the ones that's like the horse tranquilizers that ends with I and E. I can't, I can't even say it. In it. If I can't pronounce it, they told you if you can't pronounce it, don't eat it. You can't pronounce it. And some of them is injecting into themselves. Make you so sedated if you can't even roll over. You're crying out loud. Then a lot of kids is coming from homes of substance abuse or what's going on. You know, there's depression. My point is our people ain't got no Jack and Jill. Okay? And that's it. I think this is all I want to read on this. Oh, here's a guy who said that he's, he said um, this guy wasn't from a prominent family, but he got in. He said, um, I'm, he's a former bully member who left it because of scheduling problems. He said he grew up in gritty East Harlem neighborhood and quote, I'm not from an upper class family, he said, and I got in. Just because he was from fucking upper class doesn't mean he wasn't from the super bottom either. They must have seen something in you. It says a difference between the institutions of Mr. Graham's black upper class and its white counterparts is that the black groups have made civil rights and support of poor poorer blacks a key goal. Sure they are. Then they say take black sororities like AKA and Delta. Mr. Graham said referring to Alpha Kappa Alpha and Delta Sigma Theta, whose members often remain close knit later after life. And it just pretty much says that those people he, the point they made there was that um they seem to stay in touch longer and be more, have healthier relationships or something like that versus people that don't. But like I said, they, 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 they're, in, and yes, they do do community-based things. Who said they're not going to, the, I haven't seen celebrities that worship the devil still go give out turkeys on Thanksgiving, child. Yeah, there's going to be philanthropy along the way. Shoot. And also financial account number. Did I talk about that in a previous episode? That's it. I don't want to say anything else.
All right, look, Dr. Jones Adam, and remember, this is the New York Times. They talk to a lot of New York prominent doctors, black doctors, lawyers, or whatever. Dr. Joan Adams is a woman. She's an obstetrician, gynecologist, or OBGYN, who practices in Bronxville, New York, and lives in Scarsdale. Two of Westchester's wealthiest families belong to the Lynx and Delta Sigma Theta. Her children, Peter, 10, and Annie, 17, are in Jack and Jill. And her husband, Peter Adams, a lawyer, is president of Phi Beta Sigma. That's the same thing my, my coach in high school, she was AKA, and she, she, cheerleading coach, she was married to, I, I want to say it was the, the brother, I, I want to say he might have been Omega Sci Phi. Maybe I'm just saying that just because. <laughs> but I know that he was in a frat. Because um, she would say, my husband is too. At the time, I remember throughout the years when, I mean, I was, I cheered for a long time, but she was for I think it was junior varsity, so I had her for about two to two years, and she was engaged, and then she got married to him. But they like to they like to keep it like that. Two Greeks like to stay with other Greeks if they can. They share a brain. I don't know. Maybe they all understand the trauma. Stockholm. I don't know what it. It just looks good, so they could take pictures and show that the divine nine is creating legacies. So they could go with Jack and Jill. They could, if they go to enough thing and philanthropize, but also rub enough elbows and network. Blah, blah, blah. So, her he's a lawyer and the president of Five Beta Sigma, one of four historically black fraternities. They said, we meet sometimes three or more times a month, Dr. Adams said of her Lynx chapter. The Lynx chapter, the woman, she said her Lynx chapter is three to four times a month. It's wonderful to be with women of like minds, <laughs> like interests. We meet at restaurants. Oh, we know. Y'all eat good and... Live good and be so thankful. We're so thankful we ain't like these bottom feeded Negroes down below. Hey, yeah. What else? What else we gotta do to keep making sure that uh, all the hard work, the hard legacies? Come on, man. The same. <clears throat> well, that's what I wanted to do. I just wanted to do that. Anything else I wanted to say? Nope. So I'm going to do build up relay and people and all of them. So now when. I read the list of 46 celebrities. Like I said, they're never going to come on. It's going to be 46 is a lot. Anyway, you start to look around, whether they have honorary ones, whether they did it postgraduate, if they went to school at all, whether they did it before they became famous. And you just, you start to see a pattern. You just, you just, there's nothing. It's not, it's just not a coincidence. It's not. And that doesn't always have to mean, like I said, that everybody is because there's other ways to get yourself into the occult world. There's too much society. And if not, just sign your blood name, name over in blood. And a contract for riches and fame and fortune. You know, and that's a, a type of a secret society. It doesn't matter. They're going to catch you either way. And I remember I was saying, and you could you could be a member of um, the Lynx and still maybe be a, a member of another society that might be related to maybe your field. So they those groups of women probably meet for this reason, but there's always other ones, and you could allow to be allowed to do that because I think it's not another fraternity or sorority or so much as it's just another expansion of the mind. They they don't care, as long as you're being true to whatever you're supposed to be doing or whatever your mission assignment is, and goal and purpose, and that's it. Oprah don't get to be over for no reason. Oprah but none been hugging on Weinstein, open on hugged on Trump since the nineties. I don't care what supposed you feel. You know, please. Please. All right. Same thing with that guy that was uh, trying to come after R. Kelly. I can't remember his name, but then <laughs> the first lawyer, and then they found out she used to run with him too. 
he was supposed to, he used to be in the news and then he turned lawyer. He used to be some kind of media guy. I might have even raced cars a little bit, then he turned into a lawyer. But he was a shady lawyer that literally would uh, defend clients who are helpless, like literally paralyzed and say, oh, I'm going to get you this money. Then turn around and tell the client, uh, we didn't win, buddy. But then they, they did win. The client did win. He just pocketed the money. He was a really shady guy. And eventually ended up going to jail for that. Well, when they was doing background than him and, and who he was before, even in the industry, Oprah was hugging on too. They all know each other and they know what they do. Just play your game right. You know, like they said, they just, just talk about the boule. If you're in with somebody and they back you, you know, then people know you're they'll, to take you seriously. They'll just work with you, whatever situation. It's not what you know. You know. And on that note, y'all, I want to say that um, thank you for taking time for listening. That's it. That's all I got for now. But I love you guys. And I will see you all soon here on the next episode of Who's on the Lord's Side.